Hi, I'm Mickey Lowe. Hi, I'm Bishop Todd. And welcome, welcome to, to the C4SO, C4SO podcast. podcast. Hey, hey, Mickey, how's Tampa? Hey, Tampa's good. Getting getting warm, warmer by the minute. Here in That's Tennessee, nice. we're still going up and down. We have okay. a warm day and then a cold day, and, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, and we go kind of back and forth here as well, but it's not quite as bad as in yeah. Tennessee. It goes from warm to super warm. Yeah. It's not so warm, but it's always warm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we actually go to cold. Mm, yeah, we don't quite get there. Yeah. But that's okay so, with Mickey, me. So, Mickey, you are on a historic podcast today. Yeah. We, we, we've never tried to elect a suffragan bishop before. We haven't. No, we're making history here. It's this an is honor. A thing. Since we're... I moved to Tennessee, I, I learned a phrase. That's a whole situation. This is, oh. this, this, this is like a whole situation. A right whole here. situation. A whole thing is what yeah. I usually say. But yeah, yeah no, sure. this is history. Yeah, we're we are excited to use kind of this platform to kind of share a little bit about what's going on and maybe it's just some inside information. So yeah. Maybe, Bishop Todd, you can start us off by explaining to our listeners what exactly even is a suffragan bishop. Yeah, there's several types of bishops in Anglicanism. One, of course, is what's known as the ordinary or sometimes the senior bishop. Then there's something called a bishop coadjutor, and that's a bishop that has been elected to succeed the ordinary. And so he has the right of, you know, assuming the ordinary's chair, so to speak, his see. Then there are suffragan bishops, and that's what we're in the process of electing. And suffragan bishops are like permanent assisting bishops. You've probably also heard the phrase assisting bishop. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes assisting bishops are retired bishops who are just assisting their old diocese or in another diocese, or they're assisting bishops in that they have like a project they're doing or something. So they, right. they come into a diocese for a period of time, uh, maybe the ordinary sick or something when they gotcha. come in and, and help for six months or something. So the good thing about us electing a suffering bishop is that it means that C4SO now will have a full-time permanent bishop that gives himself to caring for and growing C4SO. So it's really, it's a big step for us. Totally. So speaking of our diocese, what led you to make the decision to elect a suffragan bishop and why does C4SO need one? So I feel like we're behind on this, Mickey. We, okay. uh, I think a combination of COVID and my sabbatical last year mm. um, has put us behind. You know, we're probably three years late maybe uh, doing mm. this. Okay. And the big thing is, the growth of C4SO. And it's not just the growth of numbers of churches or growth of numbers of clergy, because some of them actually are, we're we're not showing on paper great growth last year or so because we've um, had some churches uh, leave or whatever. Uh, We've had clergy that we just realized they're not really connected to us or ministry or whatever. It's not just growth in numbers, although we do keep growing. I had my one-on-ones this week with Brad Swope for church planning and Chris McDaniel for Mm. adoptions. And there's always new churches being planted and new adoptions and new clergy coming in. Actually, I had my one-on-one with Amy today too, Amy Roscoe, and there'll be five people um, ordained, you know, when we get together for our retreat. So there's always oh, that wonderful. kind of stuff happening, but it's not just growth in numbers. It's growth geographically. When we mm-hmm. started, we were pretty confined to four or five or six states. Now we're in like 16 states. Mm, yeah. But even more than that, it's the growth and the complexity of this diocese. Let's put it that way. Sure. 
because now we have a church planning department, quote unquote, an ordination department, an adoption department, um, Revelation 7-9, Kimberly Deckel working with our women clergy. We've got Jonathan doing diaspora. diaspora. There's mm-hmm. just so much going on. Yeah. So the complexity of C4O is way different than it would have been four or five years ago. Right. And the bottom line is I just can't do a good job doing it all on my own anymore. And thank God I've had bishop friends who have been willing to go to ordinations or confirmations or fill in in emergencies. But again, now we'll have a full-time permanent. So it like doubles me. Yeah. It, it doubles our Episcopal capacity. Right. No, I think that's awesome. So I'm curious, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are as well. What's the process like for identifying candidates? Mm-hmm. And yeah, just how does that work? Well, if you're choosing an ordinary, that's a very different thing. It's usually a big national search. In this case, because we we're looking for a suffragan, and because we we're looking for somebody who had specific skill sets necessary to what C4SO needs right now, and a sense of personal calling to what C4SO needs right now, we did not do like like a big national search. We took recommendations from uh, the executive leadership team, our staff, and sort of senior core, you might say, of 20 or 30 people or something. And I don't think okay. anybody would have quibbled with the names that came forward. They were We started with eight really great names. And okay. in some sense, any one of them would have been okay with me. They all were really good people. But we, uh, we got it down by a process of discussion and interviews and stuff and looking sure. at CVs and, and actually talking with serious candidates about, do you really want to do this? Or like, mm, do you yeah. really understand what's being asked of you? And are yeah. you willing to leave your church? Are you willing to... Right. You know, there were big decisions that some of these candidates had to make. And so, you know, two or three or four, I don't remember now, would have dropped out after having those sorts of serious conversations. And that's fine. That's the way these things go. No, that's so interesting to hear kind of the behind the scenes of how the process works, especially for the first time in in our diocese. Mm -hmm. So let me ask, how does a suffragan bishop get officially elected? So who gets to vote here? How does this work? What's happened so far is that the, um, the discernment team, which was a subset of the executive leadership team, has chosen Brian, who I'll introduce you to here in a moment, Brian Wallace. Uh, The ELT ratified that decision. Okay. And then Brian, over the last few weeks, has been doing all the things that has to be done for a background check to become a bishop. Probably twice as much um, a bishop than it is for a priest or deacon. So sure. uh, Brian's been working on all that stuff. And because that got completed in a clear way, uh, mm-hmm. we're now able to announce today that we have a candidate as suffragan bishop. And that's Yay. my friend, Brian Wallace. Hey, Brian. Welcome. Hey, Brian. <laughs> Thank you. Really appreciate that. Yeah, this is a big day for you too. Like this is like a coming out party. You know, it's been an intense four or five months yeah. of lots of private prayers and community prayers, and it's kind of fun and new to be yeah. in public public space. We're very excited. So, Brian, we just love to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself. Maybe just kind of a basic question: Is what's your family background? What's what's your life like? Let us know. Grew up as the fourth of a family of five children to a military officer who flew P3s in Vietnam War. We moved around a lot, but got to spend a lot of my childhood in Southern Maine, my all my elementary school and all my junior high and high school in Northern Virginia outside DC. That's where I became a Christian, an Episcopal church with a charismatic bent. 
there in Northern Virginia. You know, my father died when I was 16 years old, and that was a huge impetus for me becoming Mm -hmm. a believer. So the idea of an eternal father who would never die Mm -hmm. made a whole lot of sense to my young 16-year-old self. Yeah. My now family, my wife and I have been married 38 years this coming June, uh, really joyfully. And together we have three boys that we've raised, and they're all adults now and married in their own space. Zach and Grace actually live in Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. Um, and he's the worship pastor at Good Shepherd Nashville. Our oh, middle I met son, him, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was at my husband's ordination. That's so sweet. Yeah. Cool. Uh, it's been really fun for him to be part of our diocese. My middle son, Trevor, uh, married a woman from Sweden, Alice, and they live here in Austin where Trevor works in the tech industry and his wife's a taxonomist at Indeed that big company there. And our youngest and um, his wife, Tammy, Tammy and Avery, Avery's my son. Uh, they live in a suburb here in Austin where he is a youth and associate pastor at a local church there. Probably most joyfully at this stage of our life, we have five grandbabies. Three of them wow. live here in Austin. That's Wilder, Scout, and Knight. And two of mm-hmm. them live there in Nashville. That's with- and They're all and young, Dave. right, Brian? They're all under five years old. Which yeah. is Aww. pretty spectacular. It's exhausting <laughs> when they're all here, yeah. but really, really yeah. fun. Yeah. If, if we known how fun they were, we might have had grandkids first. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, really fun to be a grandparent. We're loving. Oh, how sweet! That's wonderful. So, Brian, you kind of touched a little bit on this of how you became a Christian, but we'd love to hear what's your background in ministry. Sure, thanks, Mickey. Lisa and I joined InterVarsity Christian Fellowship staff the month after we graduated and got married. By the way, I wouldn't recommend getting married and joining full-time ministry where you had to raise support in the first, Mm. in the same month. That was probably a bad idea. The Lord helped us survive that. We did campus ministry in North Carolina for seven years, six of them at University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. And that was just a great training ground in ministry. We loved it. And InterVarsity moved us to Texas in 1992, where we've been ever since here in Austin. And that's where I became the regional director for Texas, Oklahoma, and Arkansas. And my main job there was to raise a staff team and lead us in vision and values in the the ministry and plant new campus fellowships all around those three states. There was also a season of leaning into the hard work of multi-ethnic ministry. Uh, God did a tremendous amount and I learned a ton. It was a huge, incredible experience for me. Transformational, I would say, experience for me. Before we move on, how many years did you do at InterVarsity? 19 total. Seven in North Carolina, 12 here in Texas. Yeah, as people are getting to know you before we vote at the convention, I just wanted to underscore that a little bit because I want to say something that I think I've said to you in the past, but maybe not, is that I've always so admired InterVarsity mm-hmm. because of the the warm theological orthodoxy that was married to like not being afraid of the shifting times and just always willing to jump into the shifting times. I mean, Mm. I I can just think of so many authors over my 45 years of being a Christian, all the way up to Rick Richardson and James Chung and so many people who have helped us think about how do we be orthodox 
in these places where the world changes the fastest, universities, right? Amen. Amen. And so I just think while people maybe pigeonhole intervarsity, uh, maybe, you know, rightfully so as a specialized thing, they are also the church. The people in intervarsity are the church. And um, one of the things that made me excited about the possibility of you becoming suffragan bishop is that you carry that in your DNA, a, a warm orthodoxy that's not anxious and is willing to just meet the world where it is. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe somebody will say I'm wrong, but that's the way I've always thought of intervarsity. You know, in hindsight, I realize so much of my formation happened in intervarsity. It yeah. framed me, formed me theologically. I, you know, I got mm-hmm. to hang out with John Stott a little bit. Yeah. He came to our wow. campus. That's bragging uh, rights. Yeah, that <laughs> totally know, is. He would not remember me when he was alive. At all. Yeah. But I re- definitely remember him. He was such a giant in yeah. helping me think about the scriptures, helping me think yeah. about the cross, um, yeah. helping me think about the church. But it was also not just theologically rich for me. It was missiologically rich for me. Yeah. I was mm-hmm. constantly thinking and challenged to think, how are we going to reach college students in this unique context? And yeah. University of North Texas was different than University of Texas. This was different yeah. from the University of Houston. Sure. It was different from University of North Carolina. So how do we inhabit the gospel in all these different spaces yeah. and for all these different kinds of people in a way that made sense? And it was also really rich for me in helping me honestly eventually come to appreciate the importance of the local church. I became convinced that if we weren't helping people leave campus and into the church, that we were failing them. Somehow. Yeah. And then when I left InterVarsity and to realize, look, I had four years with people, maybe five if I was lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was such a compressed time frame to decide my right. life. But then to have a whole life in the context of the local church, I began to realize how critical the local church was. Yeah. Um, and especially then I got an opportunity to go work in the local church. And I left mm-hmm. InterVarsity primarily because my kids hit junior high. And as a senior leader okay. in university, I was on the road 120 days a year overnights oh, wow. and they just needed their dad around. Yeah. It was a hard yeah. decision. It was a job I loved. Probably still one of my favorite jobs I've ever had. Mm. My boys needed their dad in that stage mm. of life. And ultimately I think the Lord knew I needed experience in what it was to inhabit the local church. So a local church here in Austin gave me an opportunity to become an executive pastor. I led 35 staff or so that served our children's youth, college, and singles ministries. I was also a singles pastor and missions pastor and led an evening service. It was an amazing training ground and learning about the church. So I was there for seven years, and then I transitioned to another church here in Austin where I was pastor of spiritual development, where I got to think specifically about the life of faith for adults in the context of local church where I was doing small group ministries, you know, equipping ministries, staff training, ordinations, marriage ministries, leadership formation initiatives, you kind of, you name it. But it's really focused at adults, where at the prior church, it was really focused on staff and youth and children's ministries. Those two spaces gave me an amazing opportunity to learn about the local church. Mm. That was, what, about 10 years Brian, between those two? 11 years total in the local yeah. church here in, yeah. here in Austin. So 16, you said, with InterVarsity, and then 19 11, with InterVarsity, 11 19 with the church. 11. Okay. Mm-hmm. Dude, you're and old. Now I've been, <laughs> I am really old. <laughs> <laughs> I, I look 80, but I'm only 60. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this white hair makes me look older than I am. <laughs> And in oh, 2015, man. so I've been at Fuller for the last seven years. Fuller yeah. invited me to join the team there. I was finishing my dissertation in the space of 
human flourishing and the development of leaders? How do we help people survive ministry, but just, and also thrive in ministry and really make it for the long haul? It was, I was seeing too many leaders cave in. And so I wrote a dissertation about it and Fuller said, Hey, we want you to come and work in this. And they gave me a chance to found and lead the Fuller Center for Spiritual Formation. And so we work with churches and mission institutions around the world on adult discipleship, empowering yeah. local churches to actually grow their people and send their people into the mission of God. So Mickey, um, I'm not hearing this for the first time. You are. So I'll, I'll give you a second to get, gather your thoughts. But mm-hmm. I, I just wonder and what goes through your head as, as you hear uh, Brian's life. But I want to say that um, it's that combination of, let's call it the missiology of InterVarsity, um, the ecclesiology of Brian's time, 11 years in the church, mm-hmm. and then the number of years that he's both thought about and worked at Fuller on the areas of spiritual formation. You can see why I'm excited for him to go forward yeah. uh, to be voted on at the convention. I just think those values fit C4SO so well. How do you hear this as meeting Brian for the first time? Brian, thank you for sharing that and praise God for your obedience to him throughout your life and mm-hmm. just allowing the spirit to lead you and to form you into, you know, the sort of person who can step into this role potentially now. And and yeah, we're very grateful for that. And it's a it's an example for those of us kind of in the thick of ministry now. So Praise God for your obedience. Thanks, Mickey. I see myself as an object of grace. You know, you, mm. we get every day by grace. I got here by grace. Even this process has just given me an opportunity to look back and just see the goodness of God mm-hmm. at every stage of my life. Who gets to mm-hmm. be in an organization like InterVarsity and to live their life in the church and at a theological institution like Fuller? It's like, I have been so blessed. That I got Amen. to do all of that. So, Brian, I'm curious why why did the role of suffragan bishop appeal to you? What what was that <laughs> process like for you personally? Okay, Mick, I have to confess that at the beginning okay. it did not appeal at all. <laughs> it's okay, Brian. Okay. You're in a safe place. Here. Yeah, yeah. I'm not at first for a soul podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, in part, and just give me two answers. One because. You know, Bishop Todd as a friend has been honest about what it's like to be a bishop. Mm-hmm. And it's no joke. Why would someone yeah. want that job? <laughs> and um, Are we going to do therapy here? <laughs> I, I need some. Um, <clears throat> but in part because this last fall, actually, I kind of thought my sense of vocation was being settled. My mm-hmm. leaders at Fuller came to me and just said, hey, we want you around for a long time. We, can you see yourself here another seven or 10 years? And that seemed to make sense to me and what I thought God was doing. And then when Bishop Todd asked me to consider being a candidate, and I got, oh, that was in early December, I have to say I, I entered prayer partly just to be obedient to my bishop. If you're my bishop, you ask me to pray about it, I'll do it. So Lisa and I began to pray. Um, Mm. And by the way, we immediately invited our closest friends into discern with us. That's a really important way of being for us. And right away, by the way, everyone said this role would be a really great fit, both leading teams and organizational leadership Mm. and um, understanding, and, and also the opportunity to care for leaders over time. All of that was important. But as important as good fit was, that didn't really immediately move me. 
Um, so it was all the way through December. We just started praying, thinking about it. And it wasn't until late December or January that things began to shift for me. Um, the change in heart, I put it that way, began to happen when I be- examined with the Lord what I love most about my current job. And that's mm-hmm. that I get to come alongside pastors and leaders all over the world, literally, and care for their souls and coach them in this mission they're doing in the kingdom. That is totally fun for me. And as I began to pray about it, Jesus kept putting his finger on a very specific sorrow I carry in my work. It might be hard to describe, but that's because I'm a pastor and a shepherd. But at Fuller, I show up most often sort of like a consultant. And I get to be a temporary blessing to women and men in their ministries. And then I fly away and I don't have any connection or implication in their ministry anymore. So I started paying attention to this longing I have for longer term relationships. And that's what turned it for me. Mm. Um, It's a desire to be a shepherd and servant to people for the long haul, where I can't just get on a plane and fly away and not worry about the problems and the challenges or even their hopes and dreams, right? The consultant life is really great for some people. It's got a lot of blessings, but I have to confess, I want implication. Mm. I want to be in it with people over time. And that's what initially turned my heart towards the role. That's why I feel like I'm called to it. Yeah. And I, I'll be honest, since then, more things have gotten me excited. I get excited about working with Bishop Todd. That's going to be really fun. I, oh, yeah, he's the I best. enjoy the Nashville team. I get to mm-hmm. be with the deans who are incredible. We have such yeah. an amazing collection of leaders and thinkers and clergy in our diocese. Truly. And so the idea of getting to work with all of them, to learn with them over the next number of years, really is exciting to me. That's awesome. Thank you for your honesty. I, I really appreciate that. And I, you know, in a very different sense, can kind of resonate with that. When we first, my husband and I found a C4SO church, loved it. It was the first time we'd ever experienced our diocese. We thought this church is amazing. Somebody should plant a church like this in Tampa and we'll go. It, it shouldn't be us, but somebody mm-hmm. else should do it. And that. Awesome. That's usually yeah. how the Lord works, right? <laughs> At first, we're like, eh, I don't know. And then God starts to draw mm-hmm. us. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, that's awesome. That's a great story. So, Brian, can you let us know what this process has been like for you so far, personally? It has been, I think, one of the most generative spaces of discipleship I can remember in the last number of years. Mm-hmm. Because the process invites every area of my life into the submission to the, and Lordship of Christ. Um yeah. My sense of vocation and identity, that was the first wave, places where I've, I had to really say, this God, do you really want me to move away from this ministry and this place? Mm-hmm. That was really hard for me at the beginning. And then when the background check kicked in, and that process is no joke. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I immediately felt, yeah. you know, as every area of my life is under scrutiny and literal probing. You know, they they ask about spiritual health and emotional health and marriage health and sexual health and purity and financial life. Uh, every little bit, it felt vulnerable at a time. Mm-hmm. Right. And then the Lord kind of said, hey, could you invite this to be a gift to you from mm-hmm. me, to receive mm-hmm. it as an opportunity to enter into letting all of those places be in Christ's hands and let every other place of those, every area of those parts of my life be submitted to Jesus and invited to greater control and uh, oversight of the spirit in my life. And as I've done that, it's just been a real fun process with the Lord. 
Um, fear's gone away. It's actually, people are so yeah. gentle and so kind in the process too. But it's been a great place to just experience the goodness of God, the love of God, the scrutiny of the Spirit in a way yeah. that leads to holiness and kind of joy. Yeah. That's wonderful. I hear this as a member of the clergy and am really encouraged uh, yeah. because I think Bishop Todd has done a wonderful job of keeping up with all of us and checking in. But I think even now, even more so, we'll be able to have um, just a different sort of access to a person who is going to be pastoring those of us who pastor. And I think that yeah. is incredibly important for mm-hmm. folks who are in ministry. So I guess I do have a, a maybe more of like a practical question for you, Bishop yeah. Todd. What were you envisioning as sort of Brian's area of overseeing? Will it be geographical? How are you guys right. planning on breaking this up? Yeah, I've had some theories, you know, over the months when I've known that we're probably going to be able to elect a suffragan bishop. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've, of course, wondered about that question. But I think I've come to the conclusion that if the convention elects Brian, I just wholeheartedly agree with Brian that um, leadership is rooted in listening and seeking first to understand before being understood. So I would guess that we would go on a, a listening tour, so to speak. Okay. Um, especially Brian, but he and I listening together, Brian listening with the various leaders of C4SO, Brian listening to clergy and churches as he gets an opportunity, and maybe even up to six months. So I don't mean to say that whoever this suffering bishop is would do nothing for six months, not that at all. There'll be some things that like ordinations and confirmations and stuff like that. Yeah. But in terms of should we think about this suffragan in geographic terms or should we think of it more in job description terms? So it's yeah. not about where, but what, right. Right. Um, or is it about who? And we're sort of dividing up work um, amongst human beings. So I don't think we know the answer to that now. Okay. I can only say that there has to be some word better than excited <laughs> um, uh, for me to think that we could have, our own suffragan bishop. It's going to be a game changer. I I just feel like C4SO has gone through some pruning through COVID and over other issues. I mean, just to be frank, you know, people who just came to the conclusion that they really didn't want to be in a diocese that ordained women or those sorts of things. I get that. I'm not mad at anybody, but I feel like we've done some pruning that allows us to be who we uh, most authentically are. And I just know from talking to Brad Swope and church planning and Chris McDaniel and adoptions that, and, and our deans, I think we're going to go on another growth spurt. So hopefully we'll yeah. be able to identify where some of those, that potentiality resides. And after some careful listening and speaking to our, you know, various leaders that I think we'll answer that question down the track. And and I really okay. like that, that process. Cool. Awesome. So trust me, clergy, I'll get Brian. I'll get, well, if it's Brian, I'll get whoever sure, this yeah. guy is working on the first day. Okay. But, but a big part of <laughs> Rest that, assured. that big part of that work is, um, is going to be trying to listen and discern. Yeah. Or is there anything you would like to say to the clergy and lay delegates who are going to be voting at the special diocesan conve- convention on April 29th? I would start by saying that since the very beginning of this process, my wife and I have been praying every day, thy will be done. 
It really is our heart. We want what's best for Todd as our bishop. Uh, We want what's for our churches and all of our clergy. And if that's not me, if I'm not to be elected or not to be part of that process in this specific role of suffragan bishop, we're okay with that. But I also need you guys to know a few things about me. And one is that I'm a leader, but I think uh, listening is the first role of leadership. If I'm invited to become a suffragan bishop, I will start with listening and I'll keep listening. I have a lot Mm -hmm. to learn from our people. I have about their context, their churches. Um, I want to enter as a learner. I want to keep learning. That's one of the things I'm kind of excited about the diocese. It's a place to keep learning. Mm -hmm. The second thing people need to know about me is that I'm a pastor and a shepherd in orientation to almost everything. I care as a leader about the kingdom growth and ministry. I'm excited about people who come to faith. I'm excited about more churches growing. I'm excited about uh, expansion of our diocese in every way. But I'm just as interested in seeing what God does to us as much as I want him to see us do things through us. I want folks to know that their church and their ministry matters, but their life and their family, their faith, and their soul matters to me more. And third, I... I approach life and ministry as a truth teller. I think one of the key functions of leadership and ministry is holding the tension between what we believe and value, the things that we hope will become a reality, and what really is. So I will constantly celebrate their incremental growth in moments of kingdom life. I think it's really important to be careful to name all those things when they happen, right? We have to celebrate. And I will make sure that we hold the tension between our biblical calling and the lived experience of people, especially in relationship to loving and serving and honoring the marginalized people. Uh, In our context, I think it's women and people of color. We've come really far and we have miles and miles and miles to go. How do we hold both of those in tension? We can't give up and we have to do better. So if, if if I'm invited to serve I hope you're going to hear both sentiments from me a lot. I'll be quick to celebrate and I'll be quick to invite us to lean into the tension of what's left undone. Yeah. So, so Brian, thinking of your work in formation, it might be good to, to begin to land the plane here. I'm, I'm picturing all of our young clergy all across America and other young clergy or young ish, at least clergy who listen to this podcast. So you think of your long career from InterVarsity through the church and then at Fuller. What have, when you look back, what have been the core practices? So again, I'm thinking of spiritual formation. What have been the core practices that you look back on and think, wow, I'm really glad someone taught me that. Or here are the things that I've practiced that in hindsight feel like really are strengthening, edifying, grounding, you know, however you might say it. I might start in an odd place and that for me, I don't do anything outside of community. Hmm. It's kind of born out of my conviction that no one's ever been invited to follow Jesus by themselves, Mm -hmm. always in the company of friends, you know, for the disciples, they were invited to be with Jesus, but only with the other disciples, which was the hard part for them. They constantly fought about who's going to be most important. And so I believe it's a spiritual practice to both bear my life into community and live in the light with community. So a lot of truth telling about what's really true about my life, not with everybody, not as a spiritual flasher, but with certain people in my life. 
in this process, for instance, of considering this role, I've been burying my thoughts, my feelings, my questions, my fears to my community. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I could say yes to this without that community community kind of affirming a sense of mm-hmm. call in my life. By the way, Lisa and I do that with any big decision, you know, anything that costs a significant amount of money. Like we invite our community to say, hey, are we fooling ourselves that we just that we need this car and not just want this car. You know, we submit our financial decisions. We submit our big decisions to people to guard against our ability to fool ourselves or convince ourselves or make scripture Mm. sound what we want it to sound like. So all those people hear it all. My wife hears, hears it all. My spiritual director, I live in the light with a spiritual director. Of course, worship and Eucharist in the part of our local church is really part of that communal mm-hmm. experience. So living in community is a really mm. vital Christian practice for me. Not just accountability and confession, but invitation into every area of my life. Um, yeah. It's really important. Mm. Good. Of course, the most important thing anybody has taught me is how to read the scriptures. <laughs> mm. um, yeah. You know, the, the scriptures are really critical to all every stage of my life. And I read scripture differently now than I did in my twenties. You know, I would devour small portions of scripture. You know, I think I read the Mm -hmm. sermon on the Mount. It took me a year and a half Mm -hmm. reading verse by verse with a commentary and all this kind of thing. It was really great for me reading out the original language, all that stuff. And now I kind of more devour large sections of scripture, chapters Mm -hmm. at a time, just whole contexts at a time. And in particular, this last season has found me in pray as you go every morning, you know, just reflecting on the scriptures that God wants to bring to me and praying mm-hmm. with them, you know, letting my thoughts and questions to the Lord and my hopes and my fears get worked out through the, my pen. God has really met me and it's been really rich time in the scriptures, yeah. uh, especially through this process. Well, there's one, there's one other practice and I would say the last 20 years, the prayer book in Written prayers for me have been a real gift. Mm-hmm. And in this season in particular, the Lord in, in Lent has asked me to pray the litany for humility. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Where it's where you, you invite God's deliverance from unchecked wants and yeah. disor- disordered yeah. fears. It has mm-hmm. been transformational for me to pray that God would deliver me from the fear of being wronged or the fear of being mm-hmm. humiliated in this yeah. process or the fear of being maligned or rebuked or suspected or ridiculed. Mm. Yeah. And um, it's been humbling and to see so much fear in my life. And it's also been really sure. humbling to see the Lord just answer prayer so kindly uh, and bring so much freedom. Um, how can we all as C4SO, we're already your brothers and sisters. You're already a C4SO priest. Um, how can we be praying for you and Lisa? I think I, I think about three things. Uh, first is endurance, especially mm-hmm. spiritually and emotionally. Yeah, um, it's this is a long process, and it's necessarily long and a, a little bit intense. It's been four months already, yeah. five months, and if I'm elected, it'll be another six months until we have something right. happen. And with new transitions and change at Fuller and new intensities, mm-hmm. so pray for endurance. Um, we're doing pretty well, but we feel yeah. the length of the process right now. Yeah. So just so our listeners know, before we get to the other two, Brian, is a suff- uh, hopefully um, a suffragan will be elected on April 29th. 
But then it's not till June, I think middle of June, where we have a College of Bishops meeting that this person will have to be interviewed by the College of Bishops, and they will at that time either approve this election or not. But then the consecration wouldn't happen until uh, September 9th. So just so everybody gets a feel of that timeline. You can pray that we would continue to hear the voice of love from the Lord. It's been so Mm. sweet and it's been really helpful. So, but the process feels a little vulnerable and it is necessarily out of control in the, all the best ways. So pray for God's love to be really tangible and present to Lisa and to me and to our family. And the last one is if I'm elected to be suffragan bishop, which I know there's an if, ask God to give me clear vision of how it can serve Bishop Todd mm-hmm. and give Todd right. and I collective wisdom on how to serve our churches and clergy. Yeah, great. It's been super enlightening to kind of hear behind the scenes of how this works. And Mm -hmm. it's been wonderful getting to know you, Brian. And I think this will be really helpful for our listeners who are also getting to know you and becoming familiar with this process. And I am looking forward to our special convention with our clergy. I think that's obviously a really important step. Um, So we're looking forward to that. Thank you, Mickey. Thank you, Bishop Tom. Yeah, thank you, Brian. Appreciate you being with us. Thanks so much for tuning in to the C4SO podcast. If you like what you heard, please feel free to share this episode and subscribe and leave a review. It helps us to get the word out. Thanks.